Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome back to New Books in Sociology. I'm Sarah Patterson, one of the hosts here on the channel. Today we are talking with Corey Fields about his new book, Black Elephants in the Room, The Unexpected Politics of African-American Republicans. Welcome to the show, Corey. Thanks. Thanks, Sarah. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks for being with us here today. Can you go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so uh, let's see. Corey Fields, you know the name. Um, I am an associate professor at Georgetown University in the sociology department. Um, very broadly, I, my research is around like culture, identity, um, with a sort of focus on race. Uh, the book we'll be talking about today is about politics, but I, you know, do work um, more broadly, uh, sort of just thinking about the intersection of identity and culture, right? Sort of how individual identity, group identity, sort of structures cultural engagement, but also how sort of, you know, culture structures how we think about our own identity. So it's a little bit of the recursive relationship between identity and culture. Um, yeah, so I, you know, did grad school at Northwestern, um, was at Stanford for a bit, but like I said, now I'm at Georgetown. So enjoying um, life in D.C., which, you know, given some of my interests, uh, makes a lot of sense. Great. Yeah, that definitely does. Well, thanks again for being here. How did this book come about for you? Uh, so, well, it's, uh, yeah. So a lot of people always think that I was, you know, sort of a political junkie when they find out that I wrote a book about black Republicans. But actually, the book really originated in some research I was doing on knitting groups. Um, it's, yeah. Yeah. So I was doing this project on uh, a, an ethnographic study of knitting groups. And one was a group of sort of, you know, traditional knitters, if you will, sort of like old, older women, you know, grandmas who would knit and uh, once a week. But the other group I studied was a group of young professional women, sort of cool hip knitters. Um, and one of the things that uh, I was thinking about in, you know, processing the data from the young women's group was this notion of unexpectedness, like people doing things you didn't expect people like them to do. Um, and I came, became kind of fascinated with this idea and sort of like the implications of that. And like, what does that mean for, you know, the practitioner identity, but also what does it mean for the practice itself? And how does the practice get changed when unexpected participants are engaged in it? And so I was trying to think through, you know, other instances of this sort of unexpectedness. And in a conversation with one of my advisors, one of the... Um, he was sort of pressing me to come up with other groups who are unexpected, right? And like, what can we learn from other unexpected groups? Almost as like a theoretical comparison case to understand the young knitters. And on the spot, I was like, well, it's like, you know, black people who are Republican, no one expects it. And so they have to deal with that. Um, and then in the process of, you know, this 
advisor meeting, uh, I left thinking like, wait a minute, actually, I don't think we really know that much about black people who are Republican. Um, and so the project was kind of born out of that. So, you know, it's like, Thanks to my interest in young knitters, I ended up with a book about black Republicans. So. <laughs> yeah, that's a really interesting way to come about a book. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I sort of came about it not sort of through the you know traditional expected channels. I mean, obviously, over the course of doing the book, I had to familiarize myself with, you know, uh, conservative politics more broadly. Um and black politics, obviously, in the study of black politics. But yeah, so the origins of the book, yeah, it really grew out of an interest in, um, you know, people who weren't necessarily living up to external expectations around, you know, their identities. Yeah, that's really interesting. Thank you. So in the intro of the book, you start off with Ben Carson as an example, pointing out how he's often portrayed in a comical sense. Um, I personally think of like the key and peel sketches about black Republicans, you know, how they're often seen in a comical way. Um, and you bring up uh, the tie to Ben Carson with um, concepts like racial sellouts and the tension between race blind and race consciousness, which you use in your book. And so I don't want to get it too far ahead, but I was wondering if you could sort of set the stage for readers here about how you saw the racial identity of these black Af um, Republicans animating sort of their political behavior um, and things like that. Yeah, no. So one of the interesting things about the sort of Black Republicans as a group, like Black Republican itself as this identity, is that it comes saddled with, you know, a lot of expectations, right? And we have, you know, this sort of public idea about, you know, what a Black Republican is supposed to be and like what it's supposed to be like. And oftentimes it is humorous, right? There's this sort of notion of there's something funny about a Black person being a Republican because, you know, it's, you know, there aren't a lot of black people who are Republican and the Republican Party itself has a reputation, you know, sort of being um, aligned against the interests of black people more broadly. And that's consistently played for humorous effect. And it's funny that you mentioned that key and pill skit, because, it, you know, that's one of the things that comes up a lot when um, I talk to people about the book and encounter the book, because, you know, it's sort of a very recent um, sort of popular um exploration of black Republicans in, you know, the media, popular media. Um, and what's interesting about the skit, and I love this skit, I think it's absolutely hilarious, is that it kind of runs counter to one of the arguments in the book that like all black Republicans aren't alike, right? Because the whole point of the skit is that, you know, black Republicans are sort of interchangeable. They're all kind of the same. Um, and so, you know, for me, one of the compelling aspects of doing this research was, you know, sort of learning like about, you know, the, I guess, multiplicity of experiences for, for Black Republicans, right? And so, yeah, so one of the things I think that, you know, the book ends up doing is forcing us to rethink our own expectations about, you know, who Black Republicans are, right, in the process. And in the process, hopefully, you know, we'll end up engaging with, you know, broader questions around, you know, uh, what are sort of the expect expectations around Black identity, but also what are the expectations around Republican partisanship? Um, so, yeah, so no, I definitely, you know, Ben Carson, I think, uh, at the time I was writing the book, you know, he was uh, 
I guess, sort of black Republican du jour, right? Like he was in the midst of his um, primary campaign for the Republican nomination and had sort of become like the face of uh, black Republicans, right? Sort of black partisanship. And before that, there was, you know, Herman Cain. And, you know, one of the things um, that I think is important to keep in mind is that in a lot of ways, the you know black Republicans of the moment tend to reflect broader uh, sort of trends in the Republican Party writ large, right? So now, you know, we are talking a lot about Amarosa, right? And so it's like Amarosa has become the face of black Republicans, like the comical face of black Republicans. And I think that's, you know, partly a reflection of sort of shift in terms of what the Republican Party looks like now in terms of like, you know, the sort of Trumpian agenda. So, yeah, so I think, you know, the, this like, eh, I don't, I guess I don't want to say, you know, the comical nature of black Republicans <laughs> sort of makes them an interesting object of study politically, right? And so in some ways, what's really interesting is, you know, the disproportionate amount of attention you can think about black Republicans getting, right? So they make up a really small portion of black voters, right? And they make up a minuscule portion of Republican voters. And so one way to think about, you know, the jokes uh, on like the Key and Peele skit or even like the attention that Amorosa is getting or the attention that Ben Carson got, right, is that they get a lot more attention than their sort of numbers and powers probably warrant. And I think that's partly because there's like this huge symbolic importance that they play, right? Like they become uh, these sort of symbolic markers for both the Republican Party, but also the attacks on them become symbolically important because they reflect, you know, sort of a commentary on the Republican Party's uh, positions around issues that affect black voters in the black community more largely. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, even in chapter one, you share the story of Walter and Walter flat out ask you, like, why doesn't anybody ask about black Democrats? Right. Partly, I think that's a function of, you know, the taken for grantedness of, you know, democratic partisanship among black people. Right. Like, and so even like Walter's question, I remember that interview very well. Right. And it's like, you know, a little bit sort of facetious in some ways. I remember thinking like, wait, you're asking this question seriously as if you don't understand like why people don't talk about black Democrats. But obviously you understand people don't talk about black Democrats because people expect black people to be Democrat for a lot of good reasons. Right. They make a lot of sense. But I think what that question for me actually does is sort of, you know, point to actually sort of decoding that sort of taken for grantedness, right? Like, what is it um, that's going on? Because, yeah, and, you know, one of the first chapters I sort of talk about, historically, it hasn't always been the case that, you know, people didn't talk about Black Democrats, right? Like, there was a point where, historically, where that was the weird thing, being Black and being Democrat. Um, But obviously, there have been, you know, pretty strong shifts since then in terms of policy positions among both parties, right? So one thing, you know, I think that's worth noting is sort of throughout U.S. history, like Black political engagement has been, you know, aligned a lot, I mean, a a great deal of it has been, and certainly elite Black political engagement has been aligned around issues of, you know, Black equality, right? Like Black access to opportunity, um, you know, 
whether it be the vote or economic opportunities or social opportunities, right? Now, what's happened over the course of, you know, U.S. history is that the party that's been aligned with that has shifted and evolved, right? And so, you know, the notion that uh, a black person would be Republican didn't really become as, you know, head-scratchingly strange or comical, right, laughable prospect until, you know, I would say, I mean, it probably became comical like in the late 60s, right? Uh, I mean, blacks started leaving the Republican Party around the 1930s with like the New Deal, but you would still find, you know, it was re- sort of politicians who were legitimate within black communities who were Republicans, right? Who were sort of viewed as, you know, not a joke. Um, it wasn't until the late 1960s that it was just like, why would anybody be black and Republican? So, you know, the one thing to keep in mind with all of these is that there's this sort of very strong effect of like social and political context, right? Like it's not constant. Um, and in terms of how people expect uh, politics and identity to link up, right? Like it doesn't remain constant across time and it doesn't really remain constant across place, right? So even today, there are a lot of, you know, sort of local elections or local contexts where Black people voting for Republicans isn't all that strange, right? It's only at this sort of national level um, that Blacks have pretty much sort of separated themselves from the Republican Party. And actually, it might even be more accurate to say in in a lot of ways that the Republican Party has separated itself from um, Black voters. Yeah, thank you. So, I, I mean, that really ties into sort of my next question, which is sort of this short-term memory loss, I guess, we have about the history of the Republican Party. Um, and you spend a lot of time uh, in the beginning of the book sort of setting up the historical context and the fact that the Republican Party actually at one point was tied to abolition and trying to, you know, the party of Lincoln sort of argument. Um, so I was sort of hoping you could, you, you hinted at some of it, but give us more of that overview of how it did change over time. Um, so if yeah, thinking about this over time, right? It's you know the it's interesting actually to say that like the we've sort of forgotten because one of the it's in, one of the sort of contemporary tensions among Black Republicans themselves, right, is the extent to which um, this history of Black engagement and Black involvement with the Republican Party should be discussed, right, and like how compelling um, is it to sort of talk about you know well. Black people used to all be Republican, and so that should make us consider the Republican Party today. Um, I think, you know, overall, these historical appeals have actually rang pretty hollow um, to voters. Um, and that's partly because, you know, the parties themselves have fundamentally shifted on issues related to race specifically, um, and even sort of like closely related issues around um, economic, social policy, um, and rhetoric around Black people. So yeah, so, you know, coming out of the Civil War, right, the sort of, the Republican Party was founded, right, with a commitment to abolition. Now, what's interesting about that is that even at that time when the Republican Party was sort of the best working option for black people, right? There were a lot of high profile blacks who were deeply skeptical about aligning themselves with the Republican Party. Frederick Douglass stands out here, right? There was sort of a, you know, 
there's always been, in terms of Black partisanship, this sort of evaluation of picking the lesser of two evils almost. But there was a long period where the Republican Party was the lesser of the two evils between the Republican Party and the Democratic Party. Um, Now, today, what tends to happen is Republican leaders often want to evoke this history of Lincoln, right? This sort of uh, almost like um, they want to weaponize it in some ways, right? To sort of say, you know, if and and what's interesting is like the way that this history gets used actually points to some of the challenges that the Republican Party have in reaching out to black voters. Right. Because it'll often be like, well, if people only knew the history, they would think differently. Right. And so even in that logic, it kind of implies a fundamental ignorance. Right. That like black voters just don't know. Like they don't know the history. If they knew the history, they would think differently about it. Um, but that hasn't proven to be particularly compelling. And even among the African American Republicans I was I spoke with, who were you know activists, uh, many of whom were engaged in trying to increase Black participation in the party. Right? You know, there was strong resistance to this historical appeal, partly because they felt like it didn't speak to the things that people were concerned about today. Right. And so, you know, for me in the book, I think the historical context is important to sort of set up the long game of black partisanship, partly to think about this bigger question of like how identity comes to get linked to uh, particular political engagement and political actions. Right. Um, And that it's a function of, you know, well, what are the what do the parties stand for? What are party positions? And that, you know, knowing the history lets you know that these things aren't constant and that they can change. And as they change, there's going to be ebb and flow and like, you know, different levels of commitment and connection to parties. So I think, you know, the history chapter, in some ways, the Republican Party outreach often tries to invoke that history as some sort of like um, effort to link Republicans to a longer black tradition of, you know, political engagement and civil rights, right? Um, But that ends up, you know, sort of like backfiring in a lot of ways because, you know, it stands in stark relief to contemporary um, platforms and contemporary positions on issues related to race. Great. Thank you. Um, Just, yeah, pretty interesting to think about. And you sort of touched on this word that comes up a lot um, throughout the book, which is identity. And so you talk about, um, there's a quote, uh, actually, I think it's in your intro, but you say that race doesn't matter until it does, right? So here in chapter two, you start to really talk about how there's bullying from other um, African Americans in terms of, you know, questioning of racial authenticity with being a part of the Republican Party um, and sort of this questioning around um, you know, their identity, basically. So I was hoping you could tell us more about that. Yeah, no. So with, it, this is certainly a common thing among all the black Republicans I spoke with, right? This feeling that their racial credentials or racial credibility, right, get called into question because of their participation in the Republican Party, right? And so, you know, obviously, this is a function of, you know, the Republican politicians and, you know, the party overall sort of broader statement around issues of race, right? And sort of the relationship to 
black voters and black citizens. Um, and so, right. So, you know, it's interesting because black Republicans, you know, are often invoking um, uh, rhetoric that sort of challenges what, you know, people talk about as like victimology, this idea of black people being portrayed as victims of racism, right? Victims of discrimination. Um, and black Republicans will often sort of resist that notion for understanding blacks as a collective group in America, right? Um, and they say, you know, liberal politics wants to paint black people as victims and, you know, they sort of are victims of racism and they essentially they aren't agentic. And I found it, you know, it's somewhat ironic because there is a strong, strong sense um when you listen to black Republicans talk, right, that they themselves feel like they've been victimized, right? And that like, you know, they are unfairly maligned because of their politics. And, you know, they struggle with that. I mean, and what's interesting in some ways was the struggle was strongest and like the hurt was deepest when the feelings and the questions came from those closest to them. Right. So there was this sort of no one really got worked up when, you know, there was an article in The New York Times sort of questioning why black people would vote for Republicans. Right. That was sort of like, you know, par for the course. What would really hurt would be when, you know, you were home at Thanksgiving and a relative would be like, you know, how can you be Republican and say you care about black people? Right. And it's like those it, those were the, you know, the remarks that cut deepest when they came from people who were close to you. Right. The activists I would speak to would say, you know, this is my family. They should know me. They should know that, you know, I'm committed to racial uplift and black engagement and what's best for black people. Um, and so to hear them say and suggest that because I'm a Republican, I can't be, you know, that's really frustrating to me. And in some ways that would reverberate. And so that would get refracted in their relationship and their attitudes about the Republican Party overall, right? So, you know, when a Republican politician would say something disparaging about Black people, you know, uh, or something, you know, I don't know, like, when, like I, in the book I talk about, like, Trent Lott saying, you know, we would have been better with the segregationist president or something like that. You know, then Black Republicans feel like, the party has let me down. Like they've put me in this bad spot that now I have to defend this, right? And so I'm going to get called to the mat, you know, for supporting a party that could put out positions that, you know, disparage Black people, right? And so, right, so there is one of the sort of central struggles that Black Republicans deal with is this idea that people feel like you can't be authentically Black and be a Republican. Um, and one of the things that, you know, over the course of doing this research, I found was that for black Republicans themselves, there is an understanding that, you know, people have this attitude and it's frustrating, but a lot of that frustration actually grows out of what the party itself is doing. Right. And so the notion that you can be conservative and be black isn't so much troubled. It's just like the way that conservative conservatism gets manifest within the Republican Party that actually um, 
produces challenges for black Republicans. Yeah, I, th- I think um, I think it was Edward in your book, you know, kind of points out that he sort of has confusion over this, right? Because he says that the very things that he thinks makes a good black man are the things that f- he feels draw him to the Republican Party. And I thought that was quite an interesting way to see it. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because like, in some ways, a lot of times uh, black Repub- the black Republicans I would speak to, they would, you know, oftentimes be thinking about... I guess you can think about is in their mind a sort of ideal typical in the sort of Vagarian sense, right? Like the ideal typical Republican, right? And so a lot of times there's this sort of ide- idealistic view of what the Republican Party is and what the Republican Party stands for, right? And so, right. So for people who, you know, say that, well, the Republican Party stands for strong families, work ethic, you know, um, sort of entrepreneurship and, um, you know, community, right? Sort of abstract, what they would call sort of conservative values, then, right, they're able to align that with, you know, themes and principles that they see as being central to the Black community, right? And so, yeah, so there is this sense of like, well, you know, um, me being black and me being Republican shouldn't be inconsistent. And for someone like Edward, right, it's sort of frustrating because they're like, I'm just, you know, sort of supporting the party who supports all the values you instilled in me when I was a kid, right? But by the same token, that, you know, sort of, like I said, this idealistic take on what the Republican Party is doesn't really adjust to... I guess, the realities of people's perceptions about the day-to-day actions of Republican politicians and Republican voters, right? And so oftentimes Black Republicans would be operating almost in this sort of universe of the ideal, right? But the people who they were engaging with are like, what? What what are you talking about? Like, the Republican Party is sort of saying, you know, Black people need to stop complaining about police brutality. Like, what? What does that have to do with, you know, pro-business values, right? And so the challenge would be, you know, how do you manage uh, a commitment to broad principles when the people who are supposed to live up to those principles are sort of failing you consistently? And so that was like, you know, a, a... consistent problem for these black Republican activists, that their vision of the Republican Party um, wasn't being enacted by Republican leadership. And then that made them accountable, right? Because like their relatives and, you know, the Key and Peel sketch writers, they're engaging with what the Republican Party is doing, not with some sort of, you know, imagined ideal type of Republican Party. So then in chapter three, you move into an idea that you sort of introduced in the beginning, which is this colorblind approach that you saw some of your participants using. And I really liked how you described it here, where you say that they claim a black identity while simultaneously downplaying its importance. So I was hoping you could talk more about that. Right. And so this is, yeah, this gets back to something I was talking about earlier and this notion that like all black Republicans aren't the same, right? They aren't sort of a monolith. And I did find that there's sort of really two different ways of sort of linking blackness 
and Republican partisanship, right? And yeah, the first one I talk about in the book is this notion of sort of colorblind black Republicans, right? And for them, it's an interesting thing. So, right, so it's not so much that they don't think race matters at all, right? It's just that they don't use race as sort of this fundamental organizing lens, right? So for them, it's like, well, I'm black, but being black doesn't define everything about me. So there is this sort of effort at separating blackness from political engagement, right? And one of the things I try to stress in the book is that this isn't a universal rejection of blackness by any stretch, right? So these are people who would say, you know, well, when I think about what kind of church I want to go to or what kind of neighborhood I want to live in or what kind of school I want my kids to go to, yeah, being black sort of structures those decisions. But when I think about what's the best tax policy, well, I just don't see, you know, how my being black really informs that choice, right? And so for these sort of colorblind black Republicans, they just sort of fundamentally didn't see politics and like their life chances as being, you know, structured by them being black. Right. And so, you know, and it's in some ways, it's sort of the typical approach that we have when we think about black Republicans. Right. It's sort of, you know, I mean, and so if you, it sort of underlies when you think about going back to that key and pill skit, like the fundamental joke on some level is that, you know, these are black people who, you know, kind of are, quote unquote, less black than other black people. Right. Like being black isn't that important to them. I mean, one of the points I'll stress in the book is that it's not, I mean, so right, it's that for sure being black is politically less important. Now, I actually think that that's an open question that, you know, is up for debate, the extent to which that someone thinks that being black isn't politically important means that they're sort of less black than someone who thinks that being black is central to politics, right? Like that's actually, you know, I don't think that, um, I mean, I don't have an answer for that in the book, certainly, but I think that's actually like an open question, right? So, but I do think it's important to distinguish that, you know, these black Republicans aren't just fundamentally rejecting blackness as an identity, right? They just don't politicize their racial identity. So then you sort of move to the next group that you found, which are people who are more conscious of race and their race particularly. So, you know, here's... Right, and then... Oh, yeah, go ahead. And then like, oh, yeah, yeah. Right, and then, yeah, and it's like... Oh, yeah, yeah, and it's like, it's an interesting contrast, right? Because in some ways, this group of people, right, they sort of, you know, have very different ideas about how race informs the experience of blackness and the United States, right? And so one, another way to think about what distinguishes these groups is, you know, if you ask them, like, the question, who are black people, <laughs> right? And like, who are black people? The race blind group would say, oh, well, black people, you know, we need to work harder. And we've just gotten so caught up in like this talk about discrimination. And, you know, we really need to focus on getting our own house in order, right? But if you ask the race conscious black Republicans, like who are black people, they'll say, oh, black people are like hardworking and have conservative values and are doing everything right. It's just that unfortunately, black people are also constrained by discrimination and racism, right? Um, it's just that these race conscious black people, even though they do sort of make race center 
to their understanding of most aspects of their lives, including politics. They just think that the best thing for Black people is conservative politics, right? So the chapter, I, I think, it's, yeah, it's like Black power, Black power through conservative principles, right? It's this notion that, you know, the best thing... Uh, to drive racial uplift for Black people will be a focus on family, business, right? Sort of like Black community, promoting business in Black communities, promoting strong families, values and that they associate with the Republican Party and Republican policies, right? But the motivation behind it is very much racialized, right? Like it's a racial politics like they see them see themselves as engaged in black politics now this is very much uh, a different approach than the colorblind folks who don't see themselves actually engaged in racial politics right like they like i said you know sort of a race doesn't matter right um you're republican because it's the right thing to do not because it's good for black people whereas race conscious black Republicans are like, I'm Republican because that's the best thing for black people, right? Those these are sort of two fundamental different different ways of sort of centering race in their politics. Uh whereas the colorblind people decenter race, the race conscious people, you know, center race, but they both end up at the same political outcome, right? Republican partisanship and support of Republican policies. There's sort of two different pathways to the same home. Well, and as a sociologist, I thought it was really interesting um, throughout the book when you talk about how sort of some of the people you interviewed talked about or distanced themselves from the way that sometimes um, African-Americans are portrayed in the media, for instance, you know, in, in terms of the 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 way that the Republican policies deal with those, for instance, like welfare, whether cutting it or, you know, funding it more. So I thought that was another interesting part of your book. Yeah, no, I mean, one, what, yeah, one of the things that was fascinating to me was, yeah, to hear, you know, different Black Republicans talk about the exact same policies, but in very, very different ways, right? Um, and so it was like, whoa, I just, you know, two days ago interviewed a guy who was talking about school vouchers and his take on it was radically different, but still supportive, right? And school vouchers is actually a very interesting illustration of this. So on an issue like school vouchers, you'll have the color, you know, sort of race doesn't matter, colorblind, raceblind, black Republicans will say, you know, well, we should support school vouchers because the market is the best way to distribute resources. And the best way to make public schools better is to give them competition. That's, you know, this sort of market logic. And that's what's going to save schools, which is, you know, a pretty standard uh, conservative argument for vouchers, right? The sort of school choice idea. Now, you can contrast that to the sort of race conscious support of the exact same policy, right? The school vouchers are good, but their motivations or their sort of justifications for why it's good look really different. So race conscious black Republicans will say school vouchers are good because they empower black parents. Who knows what's best for black kids? Like white school board administration? or the black parents who raise them every day, 
right? And so what school vouchers do are give give power to the parents of Black kids. Now, these are, you know, very different ways of framing the exact same policy. Um, And what's interesting is, you know, these different framings, these different understandings of how race should inform political behavior, right? You would think that because they support the same policies, these groups would get these two different kinds of black Republicans couldn't get along. You could sort of come together and be like, okay, well, we support the same policies, so we're on the same team. But that's actually not the case. There was actually quite a bit of contention between the different types of black Republicans that often made organizing really difficult. So you have one group saying, you know, school vouchers because the market's the best way to fix it. And you have another group saying school vouchers because black black parents are empowered. Those two groups have a lot of trouble coming together to organize in support of school vouchers, even though they both want it, you know. Well, that sort of leads us into Chapter 5, where you um, talk about these two associations, so the National Black Republican Association and the Republicans for Black Empowerment. And so I I thought this book was a really interesting sort of illustration of of what you're saying here, where, you know, they're seeing the same policy, but they relate to it differently. So I was hoping you could talk more about those organizations. Yeah, so these were, you know... Uh, in some ways, two different organizations that each embodied uh, the sort of two different approaches to Republican partisanship among the black activists I spoke with. Right. And so, you know, the National Black Republican Association was very much, you know, sort of um, in line with uh you know, sort of a race doesn't matter approach. Right. And sort of, you know, supporting the party. Um, for ideological reasons, because, you know, the, the, the party sort of, you know, they're loyal to the party and like support Republican politicians because, you know, you're Republican, so you're support, supposed to support Republican politicians, right? And what was interesting was the, when the organization initially started, it was sort of heralded as this, like, it's going to be a big deal. And this is going to be an organization that's going to make inroads into the black community and, you know, going to really sort of give the work to give the Republican Party a foothold, you know, into uh, the black voter base. Right. But the organization itself actually relatively quickly imploded, right? Partly under the weight of these tensions between to what extent is this organization going to be a voice for the Republican Party and to what extent is this organization going to be a voice for Black people? And in the book, I talk about how, you know, coming out of Hurricane Katrina, um, there was a huge fracture within the organization where, you know, after Hurricane Katrina, the you know National Black Republican Association issues this press release, being incredibly supportive of George W. Bush's handling of the uh, disaster, and you know, as a result of that, about half of the executive board left the organization. Right? They sort of because the you know press release sort of issued out saying, you know, there's nothing racial to the response to this. And anyone who brings up race in terms of talking about, you know, the president's response, they're the true racists. 
I mean, that that wasn't the exact wording, <laughs> but that was the gist of it. Um, and, you know, half the board members were like, this is an unacceptable position. Like, you know, we won't stand for just being, you know, puppets for the Republican Party and saying that, you know, racism and discrimination isn't happening when it is. Right. Um, and a lot of those members who left or some of those members who left were involved in the formation of Republicans for Black Empowerment. And as the name suggests, right, I mean, you can look at the different names of the groups to see the sort of different kind of focus that they have. You know, the you know National Black Republican Association is just sort of this descriptor, like we're black and we're Republicans and it's a national group, whereas Republicans for Black Empowerment very much speaks to a racially grounded understanding of, you know, what this group is about and what this group is trying to do. It's trying to empower black people. Right. Um, and, you know, the Republicans for Black Empowerment, very much central to, you know, their mission and what they're trying to do is to center blackness. Right. In the organization's goals and in the organization's efforts to reach out to black voters. Right. And what they're sort of trying to do is say, look, you know, um, we need to think about how being Republican is good for black people. And part of that means owning up to some of the challenges and racism and discrimination that exists within the party and working to make that better. So one way to think about this tension that happens with organizing among black Republicans is that, you know, black Republicans who are less interested in like a racialized politics, right, less interested in centering black identity to their political behavior, they see their audience oftentimes as being black people, right? So they're saying, we need to convince black people to be more Republican. Now, in contrast, race-conscious Black Republicans who, you know, like I said, center, Blackness is central to their politics, right? Like, they're Republicans because they think that's what's best for Black people. Those Republicans, when they organize, they oftentimes imagine their audience as white Republicans, right? So they see what we're trying to do is to convince white Republicans to be less racist. And so... When you have these differing understandings of the mission of the group, it makes it hard for those two types of black Republicans to work together. Yeah, that's really that's really interesting. And it sort of leads me into my question about Chapter six, um, where you say in order to sort of, you know, make it to be able to rise to the top in, you know, the different races, um, usually black Republicans have to adopt a colorblind approach. Um, and I think, you know, this is sort of um, reflected in some of the examples that you gave in these two associations. So, for instance, when you went to the National Black Republican Association, the audience was very white, right, versus the Republicans for Black Empowerment, where the audience was, was majority black. And so I thought that that was sort of interesting how um, the colorblind approach sort of, you know, influences the chances of black Republicans becoming a solid part of their party. Right, definitely. So, I mean, one way to think about it is, you know, when Fox News needs a black Republican, they call the guy who says race doesn't matter, not the woman who's saying black power through conservative principles, you know? So, um, and 
part of this is a function of, you know, the way we learn about black Republicans is through white Republicans, right? Like, so the, you know, a black Republican becomes famous because they've moved up through the broader network of conservative politics. So in some ways, this is like the gatekeepers to power and resources within the Republican Party um, have to be um, accepting of your message, right? And so the challenge for Black Republicans, right, it's certainly, especially the challenge for uh, race-conscious Black Republicans, right, is to position themselves in such a way that they can get white Republicans to sign off on what they're saying. And and this partly is a function of, like, you know, the Black Republicans who get a platform, right, are often reflective of the interests and motivations and desires of white Republican gatekeepers. Um, and so the extent to which, you know, you want to understand what the Republican, what white Republicans think about, you know, race and issues that affect black people, you get a good sense of that by looking at the black Republicans that they give a platform to, right? Like, um, who has, you know, think tank resources, who ends up on Fox News, who ends up being, you know, endorsed as candidates, right? Like these are sort of markers of the broader party's um, take on issues of race, particularly issues of blackness, right? So, you know, the you only hear about a black Republican or you mostly hear about black Republicans when white Republicans like them and white Republicans are, you know, I don't know. I was going to say predisposed. I'm not sure if that's exactly the word, but white Republicans have a consistent track record of promoting, you know, race blind black Republicans, black Republicans who don't want to frame um, their partisanship around black interests and racial uplift, but instead want to sort of, you know, de-emphasize talk of race. Right, because you sort of mentioned that um, basically policies go over better when you sort of have the rising tide lifts all boats versus, oh, you know, this policy would be good for these particular people. Take Right, exactly. And so in some way, I mean, right. So it's like, it's like um, you are when you can talk about conservative policy in a way that, you know, either de-emphasizes race or, you know, speaks to, uh, to blacks in like a chastising way. Right. Um, it's easier for you within the Republican party and black Republicans themselves recognize this. I mean, I talk about this in the book where it's like, they get what's going on. And right. And this is part of the, challenge and why like again why organizing becomes difficult because black republicans fight amongst themselves because they feel like you know black republicans who are willing to cater to white republican interests have a lot of problems or you know race conscious black republicans have a lot of problems working with those people and simultaneously race conscious black republicans are really really um troubled and are in conflict with white Republicans who will only give them a platform if they say, you know, 
this isn't about race or race doesn't matter or black people, you know, need to pull themselves up by their bootstraps. Right. So it's not I mean, it's partly, you know, one way is to just sort of de-emphasize race. But I think there's also, you know, you see it rewarded within the Republican Party when black people are willing to um, sort of chastise other blacks. Uh, in the conclusion of your book, you sort of give us some takeaway points and you point out that um, your book brings up important things about race, but also about politics and how those are sort of interacting with each other. So I was hoping you could give our listeners sort of your final thoughts and conclusions from this project. Yeah, no, that's, yeah, I feel like I took a, I learned a lot from doing this research, right? I learned a lot about Black Republicans as a group, I learned a lot about the Republican Party, um, but I also feel like I, I, it made, it forced me to think a lot about, you know, sort of identity and how we think about identity um, and the relationship between identity and political behavior, right? So one, you know, takeaway is um, we often focus on whether or not people have identities, right? And it's almost this dichotomous thing. Are you black? Yes, no, right? And if yes, I can tell you all these things about your behavior. But for me, what I found really compelling in doing this research was this notion that it's important to look at the meanings that black people attach to being black, Right. Like all black people don't feel the same way about being black. And it's in that variation in the meanings that people attach to blackness that you find, you know, sort of variation in their political behavior. Right. And so it's not enough to just know that somebody is black. You need to know, you know, how important being black is to them. What what meanings do they attach to blackness? Right. And that it's these sort of. um more meaning making points uh, that influence what political behavior looks like. If that makes any sense. Um, yeah, so so that was one big takeaway, right? Is that you know we need to focus on the meanings that people attach to blackness. And you know, my book was focused on political behavior, but I imagine that this would be important for sociologists who do a range of research, right? That like to what extent can we incorporate, you know, people's attitudes and about their identities and not just look at whether or not they have the identity, right? So, and so, and so it's not, it's about, you know, not assuming a, a sort of monolithic understanding of group membership, but instead sort of exploring, you know, the meanings that people attach to their group memberships. So that was one aspect um, that was really important um, in doing the research. The other aspect was like, we often think about, you know, identity driving politics. But one of the things I found in doing this was that, you know, the opposite is also true, that like political engagement can structure how you understand your identity, right? So if you're a Black person who is deeply embedded within the Republican Party, it's really hard to articulate a race-conscious brand of politics, right? A race-conscious understanding of your Blackness. And so, you know, the more... Um, the more integrated you become within Republican networks, the more difficult it is to actually, you know, 
take what you could think of as sort of pro-black positions, right? Or to engage in like a pro-black politics. Um, so yeah, so those were, you know, sort of two big takeaways uh, for me was that, you know, it's like the meanings that people attach to identity, it's important to focus on those and not to assume that, you know, that they're constant across everyone in the group, but then also to think about how, you know, those understanding them understandings themselves are often grounded in political behavior, right? And and grounded in the politics that people are doing. Um so what are you working on now, Corey? Oh so yeah, uh I have a a few things I'm working on. Um my next big project uh is actually it grows out of this research. So one of the things that was really interesting about uh studying black Republicans was the extent to which, you know, within the context of the Republican Party, um blackness, black identity, right, um, often could operate as like a resource, right? And so it's like, if you were a black person willing to, you know, sort of, like I said earlier, chastise black people, if you were willing to say like race doesn't matter, that opened up opportunities uh, for you, right? Like you were get access to resources, you were given a platform. And so this got me thinking about, um, how, you know, identities can operate both as like constraints, but also resources for people. Um, And so I wanted to sort of like, look at that in a different context, not just politics. So my next big project is exploring um, how professional identity and personal identity overlap. So what happens when who you are is linked to what you do. And so I'm going to be studying uh, groups of people I call identity professionals. Um, And these are people whose jobs are linked to their sort of either membership in an identity category or their uh, perceived deep understanding of an identity category. So I'm going to do this project where I'm studying black people who work in advertising. And so uh, comparing black people who work in what are called mainstream agencies and black people who work in sort of what are called you know, uh, African-American t- mark targeted agencies. Hmm, sounds really interesting. Thank you for that overview. So today we've been talking with Corey Fields about his book, Black Elephants in the Room, The Unexpected Politics of African-American Republicans. Thanks again for joining us, Corey. I really appreciate it. Oh, thanks for having me. It was a great time. Great. Thank you.